Hello, everybody. Brett Stewart here. I want to leave some housekeeping notes here at the top of the program. First of all, if you follow us on Facebook or our social channels, you knew that we skipped last week. We took it off since our new release day tends to be Thursday mornings. We figured it would be nice to take a week off of editing and releases and putting it in your feed because we know that was a holiday here in the U.S. where the majority of our listeners are. So with that said... We hope you had an absolutely wonderful Thanksgiving. We are so thankful for all of you wonderful listeners. We're thankful for you contributing on You Did This To Us weeks. We hope to grow that and continue to grow that. And if you have the opportunity to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, that helps us do that as we grow and try to get onto those movies and television charts at some at some point someday. <laughs> that would be pretty darn rad. So thank you so much for your support there. And if you want to leave a review over there, we'd so appreciate it because we're just so immensely grateful that we're nearing a hundred episodes now. That's unbelievable. If you go back to Geek Cinema Society, our earlier show before Movie Go Round, David, Nicole, and I have been together for over three years doing so many shows, almost 150 total at this point. And it's really just been a blessing in all of our lives to have the opportunity to do it. And we're really grateful that you guys join us along the ride. So thank you very, very much. I do also want to note that we're going to have some really fun and exciting 100th episode content over on the website, uh, mgrpodcast.com. You can go on over there, and it's not going to be up when this episode comes out, but we'll announce it, probably episode 97 or 98, where we're going to have a bunch of awesome articles and things you can join in on. It's going to be very exciting as we celebrate coming up on 100 episodes, almost two years. Wow, the time has flown. If you'd like to leave feedback, though, this is a great time of year for, for you to do that. We'd love to get feedback leading into the 100th episode. So please go ahead and do that. H-I, hi, at mgrpodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. Without further ado, here is Star Wars The Last Jedi. And goodness, this is a long one, but I promise it's a really good one. So stay tuned. And welcome to Movie Go Round, a film discussion podcast that rotates between different themes every week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme is Future Classics. Hello, everybody. I'm Brett Stewart. Joining me this evening, Nicole Davis. How are you? I'm good. I got a new audio interface and I watched this movie three times and boy, do I have mixed feelings about Adam Driver. I'm so confused right now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, it's good. It's good. You do sound crystal clear. Got to love some good audio uh, upgrades. They're always very, very satisfying. Uh, David Luzader, how are you? Uh, I'm here. I'm happy to be here. I also have mixed feelings about Adam Driver, but maybe different <laughs> ones than Nicole's having. Mm, I don't know. It sounds like it might shot. be kind of similar. <laughs> yeah. Mostly yeah. about how high I want the waist of his pants to be. And you'd be surprised. <laughs> it might be higher. <laughs> so, so very high in this movie. Uh, before I introduce it, though, 
I do want to introduce next week's movie, should the listeners decide to follow along with us. Next week is Around the World. That means one of us has the opportunity to pick a film that is an, an international film. It can't have been made in the U.S. or uh, in, in any case like that, even though I know we've had some some sliding under the radar, <laughs> uh, mostly for me. But David, it's your pick. Yeah. What is your Around the World pick for next week? Well, I'm staying in the world of martial arts, and we're going to go a little bit bigger. We're going to go a little bit epic. We're going to go to 2002 to watch Hero. Ooh. So I, I have a sad, sad confession about this movie. What? My, my, my soon-to-be sister-in-law uh, has been begging me to watch this movie for years. <laughs> and I have always said I will do it. And I always forget. So thank you, David, you by forcing to. <laughs> me to do this. And I can finally yeah. talk with her about Hero. I didn't get a phone call or anything telling me which movie I should pick. That's not... <laughs> Man. Uh, so this is great. I am finally going to check this off the list. <laughs> Hero. Check it out next week, everybody. Um, but this week, it's Future Classics. It was my pick this time around. And I picked... 2017 Star Wars The Last Jedi. Uh, Rey has found Luke Skywalker, but he refuses to return to the Resistance or help her develop her newly discovered Force abilities. He is unsettled by the strength of her powers. A galaxy away, the last of the Resistance is being eroded ship by ship during an ongoing pursuit by the First Order, which carries Kylo Ren on the lead dreadnought. Throughout it all, the Force connects Rey and Ren, Kylo Ren, influencing them to find a common ground and giving Rey hope that she might bring Ben Solo back to the light side of the Force and turn the tide of the war for good. This is the second film. It is the Empire Strikes Back slot of our sequel trilogy, as, as we now started to call it. And I want to talk a little bit about why I picked this. Um, first of all, it's almost 100 episodes in and we've yet to watch a Star Wars movie. And it's partly because they're difficult to slot into our five themes. But I also picked it because I think this will endure. And, and time will tell because in a month we're going to get the final film. But I think it'll endure as one of the not only one of the strongest entries of this new trilogy, but of Star Wars as a whole, in, period, all nine, ten 11 films, whichever ones you decide to count, <laughs> because it took risks. It was beautifully shot. It was beautifully written. It had character development far beyond anything we had seen in the franchise as a whole. Star Wars, as much as I love it, it it's not always been particularly well written. It's not always developed its characters in really compelling ways. Those aren't necessarily the reasons people love Star Wars. And this movie has all of that in spades. And that's what I love so much about it. And that's why I think it'll be a future classic. This will be the movie that people look back on and they're going to say, yeah, a lot of the fans hated it. And that's because it pushed them out of their comfort zones. It wasn't The Force Awakens as much as I love that film as well. It was something new and different. So that's why I picked it. Um, you guys, I'm sure, have seen it many times before, correct? Yes. And, and to that, I want to say something real quick, because I also unabashedly love this movie. Uh, but I don't want to spend my time on this podcast. I want to I want to discuss the movie on its own merits. I don't want to sit here and be like, well, the people who thought this were wrong. And blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so I, I just want to put a challenge out there that if there is somebody who is listening to this, because I'm sure there's some people who saw The Last Jedi and immediately skipped it. 
Uh, but if there is somebody listening to this who disagrees and, and like, like Brett said, you're one of the fans of OG star Wars that hates this and you want to discuss it. You don't want to, you don't want to attack and get angry about the movie. You want to actually discuss it. Let us know. Let me know on Twitter at Davluz, <laughs> D-A-V-L-U-Z. We, I, we will sit down and record it, and I will force it, Brett to put it as bonus content on the feed. But I'm saying that because I don't want to get <laughs> caught up in just like defending this movie against people I'm not actually talking to at this time. That's okay, actually I'd a like terrific a, idea. I'd, I'd like to throw a caveat out there as well. I wouldn't mind debating you know, what, what people like and don't like about this movie, but I... I have to say right now, I hold no truck with people who say that this is a bad film. Mm. Just, I can understand you don't like it. You hate it. Fine. You know, that's everybody is entitled to their opinion. And if you don't like it, that's cool. You know, it's Mm -hmm. not your thing. But I will hold no truck with people who attack this as a a bad film this is not a badly made film it's not a badly written film it's not a badly acted film it's not a badly executed film this movie is well put together it's well plotted it's well thought out some of the performances are absolutely top-notch and you know the way it's edited together is pretty much like every other Star Wars movie is edited together with the cross-cutting between different stories. And the swipes. The swipes. The swipes and the circles, right? The zoom-in, zoom-out circles, like they're straight out of a Looney Tunes cartoon. And I was watching Mandalorian, and they did it. And I'm like, all right, they're they're keeping this whole idea alive. Oh, it's never going to die, and I love it. But I I actually do think that is a great challenge. If, If you are seriously a person that wants to talk about some of the elements that we might not touch on, because it is such a divisive film, please do reach out to us. We'd love to record something or read something on the show. Let us know. But now let's dig into the many discussion topics we have. I think we should talk about first that I think David has one here that really encapsulates what I love about this movie. This is a movie about failure. This does not end particularly well for a lot of our favorite characters at many points throughout the movie. And I think that's one of the things that this movie does really differently than a lot of Star Wars, perhaps with the exception of Empire Strikes Back, which makes sense. It has that slot. And I think that's Uh, probably one of the reasons people love Empire. This is the empire of this trilogy. Uh, I hate when people say that. (laughs) Although I I do actually think it's it's kind of true. But yes, yes. In, in, this, in this case, yeah. But but I mean, it totally is. I, you, the heroes are downtrodden, but they still have that hopeful moment at the end. But all throughout this movie, people are trying things that just does not work out for them. Yeah, I think I I suspect that the biggest reason that is uh, not out and out bigotry related that people don't like this movie is because it introduces a hefty hefty dose of cynicism into Mm. the star wars franchise you know always it's like even when things are at their darkest everyone has tremendous hope and they know they're on the right side and they're they know that things are going to carry on into the next day and um you know there's there's always this sort of positive spin to it and this movie, things just get worse and worse. And they're down to what, like 30 people in the resistance yeah. at the end, maybe? Enough to fit they them all on the Falcon. Yeah. Falcon. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's terribly dark. 
it's terribly dark. And Luke is like the the most cynical character of all <laughs> in this movie, except maybe for Kylo Ren, maybe. It's neck and neck in some places, you know. And I think a lot of people just it does not sit well with them. And it does it didn't sit well with George Lucas because that was sort of his whole point um behind the first trilogy was to you know it was like post watergate and post vietnam and he was of the mind that people wanted to see like clear good and clear bad and hopefulness and goodness and yeah just give something to come to the movies and cheer at and that was his whole you know mindset in trying to get star wars made and i think that's that's a big reason why he does not like this movie and i think that just means that in in more ways than one star wars has outgrown what george lucas ever even imagined it could be uh this is this is growing pains of a franchise that wants to be more and i think that we had the force awakens introducing the sequel trilogy and don't get me wrong, I love The Force Awakens. It's a beautiful film. And I think in a different context, we could probably talk about that as a future classic in its own right, because it did reignite this franchise. But as we have all talked to, uh, as we've all talked to death in many of our geek circles, it is a rehash <laughs> of many, many, many ideas from the original trilogy in an effort to uh, not only stoke nostalgia, but to make people feel like it's returning to the roots of Star Wars that they so loved. And it, this and movie diverged from that pretty aggressively. Yeah, and and part of the thing, too, with a lot of Star Wars fans is that they saw these movies as kids or when they were younger, you know, back back in an earlier different stage of their life. And so they have these very powerful, intense emotions associated with Star Wars that you don't really get from movies as an adult, not in the same way. Things are a little bit different. And this was a film that tried to kind of grow up with its core audience. It's still got enough for the kids, you know, because Star Wars are kids movies, guys. Like, let's also be honest about that. People need to realize these are kids movies. And or at least kid friendly movies, at least kid friendly movies. Yes, yes. Um, which is like, you know, yeah. Uh, so you, you have a movie that's trying to now reach its core audience at the place that they're at. And I think for some people, part of the backlash was like, I'm not, you know, this movie didn't make me feel like I was eight years old again and seeing Empire Strikes Back for the very first time and having like my mind blown. Oh that- gosh, is it coincidental that I was eight when Empire came out? Hmm. <laughs> Though I, I will I, say, to that point, I think that there are some moments in this movie, and it, it is masked in a shroud of darkness, because the whole plot of the film is centered around maybe 12 or 24 hours at the very most of Except these... for the Ray parts, which is a little bit vague on how Yeah, long they're kind of vague. But like three days, I think. A couple days where, like right, where these giant imperial dreadnought Star Destroyers are following these minuscule little rebel ships that can only just stay out of their cannon range because they're lighter and smaller and faster. And it's just this this sad march toward death because there's nowhere they can go. There's nothing they can do. They can't jump to light speed because the Imperials can track them through light speed. And 
you have moments in this movie though that do have those glimmers of hope that Star Wars has. Um, you do have the, and we'll break each of these down individually because I know that I'm opening up like four cans of worms right here. But you, you do have the the triumphant releasing of the animals <laughs> or the releasing of the animals on the casino planet from Rose and Finn. You have the return of Yoda, spoilers, that in a really, a scene that oh still gets me really good. And you have those moments that are classic Star Wars heartstring pullers that they still exist in here. It's just not the center focus of the plot this time around. Oh, and you you have the kid at the very end pull the broom to himself <laughs> with the force, and then he has you know he holds it in a way that his shadow makes it look kind of like Jedi esque, and that's this really great moment to me that that still I think is really impactful and powerful, and I hope is setting up this whole idea of Star Wars being something that isn't just focused on the Skywalkers, which yeah uh, you know obviously Episode Nine is supposed to be the end of that, and Ryan Johnson. Uh, is supposed to be involved in things beyond that. So I'm just hoping that's like a hint of like, hey, you know, here's the Star Wars you love, but it's going to not be the characters you know and and explore things that are a little unfamiliar, but it's still going to be Star Wars. It's still real to me, damn it. (laughs) I mean, yes, uh, of all the, the projects that have gone in and out of the graveyard of Disney for their Star Wars acquisition after the Rise of Skywalker this December... Uh, pro- one project that has not seen, um, you know, any turbulence thus far is Ryan Johnson coming back to do his own trilogy that he has signed on for one. So maybe that's it, right? Maybe we see more of that kid someday. Yay. I don't think so, but um, we're definitely getting three more of this guy. So I'm sure Star Wars fans will go and all see it and all complain. Um, <laughs> sorry, people that don't like it. I don't want to shit on you this whole episode. So, that's what I'm trying to not do. <laughs> I know. It's hard for me. I, I'm the one who brought it here as a future classic. Um, I get you. No, so let, let's let's actually talk about right, some of those moments I mentioned. Let's put it this way. I mean, if people, you know, some people don't like it. And, and they, and you know, like like I said, if not everybody can all like the same things. And that is fine. And I'm just going to try, I guess, to, you know, d- d- if it's not clear already, yes, I'm I'm with you guys. I love this movie. Um <laughs> But, you know, so I will, we'll see if maybe we can present a case for you to reconsider some of the elements in this movie. So as long as we're talking about that, though, let's talk about some of those elements that some of the elements that are most controversial in this film, Uh, for instance, we'll kind of go down the line. Um, A lot of folks don't like Rose as a character. And besides racism, I'm trying to wrap my head around why, to be entirely blunt, because I find her delightful. I think maybe it's a it's a combination of she's she's a little she's this really weird mix of sunny but depressed. Yeah, is it like spunky? I don't know. She's and, like, I don't, I don't yeah, know. she's really she's like exuberant, but um, I don't know, like like. Uh, I can, I can like see carrying I, heavy weight, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, her sister died at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, well, yeah, of course. You know, Ryan Johnson said that he actually, once Kelly Marie Tran was cast, that he actually rewrote the part a little bit. He said he initially thought of it as kind of more of an Eeyore-type character Ooh. that was always mm-hmm. a downer. And then, you know, 
Kelly Marie was so sort of bright and um, she's delightful. positive a, a personality that he he rewrote it a bit to incorporate more of her into it. Now, this is a woman yep. that had to go off social media because she was and, so heavily abused by fan by fans. Uh, well, and, and so here, awful. Here's what I hate is people who would then be like, well, I didn't like her character, but no, 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 no. This has nothing to do with her character <laughs> when we're having this conversation. Uh, and that's the yeah, problem. She didn't write it. <laughs> right. She is just a human being who accepted a job and did what she but I did it for money, you know, like she put her heart and soul into it and gave a performance that may not be your taste. That's fine. But if we're discussing, should people abuse this human being or not? The character has nothing to do with it because the answer is no. Yes, exactly. You're on the, on the nose. I mean, I will, I will say that her, there are a couple of scenes where I kind of wish they'd done another take. (laughs) You know, where it's like that, I feel like it was like the, her maybe second best take, but it was the, the shot overall was better for some other reason. And that's why they use that one. Um, you know, I don't, I really don't like the moment with the kiss at the end. Yeah. I think that's a moment that most people, (laughs) no matter where you fall in this film, it's, it's It's a a little little odd, a little odd. Yeah, it it comes almost out of nowhere because there's not really any they're they're not they're not pointing to any chemistry between Rose and Finn. You know, she's painted as kind of a fan. Yeah, she's of a little his. bit of worship. Yeah, it starts it starts out where she's kind of like fangirling over him a little bit, you know, because he's he's this guy who defected from the he's the, the first Finn. order. And came to join resistance, you know, so she's kind of a little like, oh, wow, you know, and and then she's immediately disillusioned and disappointed because she thinks he's trying to sneak out. Never meet your And I mean, he is, but not for the reasons (laughs) that she thinks. And um, well, but he's still he's still deserting the cause. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, yes, they they bond over this joint task that they have, but it's like a. It's like a colleague kind of bonding, it feels like. At least that's what comes through on screen to me. So it does that the romantic moment at the end comes out really forced. Yeah, I agree with that. And that's not and that's not necessarily I don't blame Kelly Murray Tran for that because no. I, I think I think it's not evident throughout the film as much as I like as as we said, like the writing is good and it's wonderfully shot. It's like the chemistry on those characters kind of missed the mark if it was supposed to build up to that moment. Right. Yeah, it does. And, and I did some reading before the show as well um, regarding this. And it seemed like a lot of the boycotts around the time two years ago, and I'd forgotten a lot of this, is we had these hashtags, hashtag boycott Star Wars 7, um, you know, and they had all these hashtags that are floating around that were largely coming um, from Reddit and 4chan and Twitter on more alt-right segments of the internet, um, which were focused largely on, you know, quote, um, the, the racial agenda of the most recent Star Wars films and like, and like de-whiting them. Like when it's not all white people anymore. And, and that upset a lot of really bigoted people on the internet. And maybe, maybe in part the outrage against Rose is, blown up because of that because it was such a loud bigoted horrible minority 
Um, but she seemed oh, to get... Oh, and she's too fat. Don't forget she's oh, too fat. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> she seemed to get the brunt of that hate, that she just happened to be the person yeah. that people decided to well, focus on. And she wasn't the first one. I think Daisy Ridley also disappeared off of social media. She did, right? yeah. Didn't she? And that, like, a lot of that was because of the way people reacted to her in episode seven. And also, this movie, uh, not so convertly, kind of deals with some toxic masculinity that I think <laughs> maybe these things we're talking about go a little bit hand in hand. Yeah, definitely. What, you mean how, like, Poe almost single-handedly gets, like, oh. 80% of the resistance destroyed? <laughs> Look, I love Oscar Isaac. I do, uh, too. I, I would... <laughs> I would make out with Oscar Isaac right now, but Poe Dameron in this movie, no As would thank I. you. No thank you. Poe Dameron in this movie is is the worst. And it kind of comes out He's of nowhere, right? Learn. Like he wasn't this No. He wasn't well, this obtuse in the first movie, or maybe we just never saw enough of an opportunity for him to be this obtuse. Yeah. Yeah, and what what drove me crazy is that people were like, why didn't Holdo just tell him the plan? Why did he have to be told the plan? Why can't he just say like, hey, in the rank of military order, you're above me, so I'm going to back off. Yeah, you know what? Superior officers don't have to tell you squat about why they're doing what they're doing. (laughs) Yeah, but so many people online have always been like, if she just told Poe, it's like, why does she have to tell Poe? I don't get that. He's the one being insufferable. (laughs) <laughs> yes, he he most certainly is, and and for for the three people listening that haven't seen the movie, it's because he loses the majority of the rebel fleet in a in a lost cause at the beginning of the movie when he's trying to fight against one of these giant juggernaut Imperial star cruisers, and dreadnought. Leia is telling him not jug, dread, dreadnought is telling him not to do this, and he won't listen to her. He disobeys the direct order, gets three-fourths of their fleet wiped out and i guess yeah his character's a lot of learning to do right because at no point does he necessarily feel i don't know if he ever learns <laughs> i don't think he, he ever no, does he, so watching it again this time he he does a little bit at the end when uh when poe or not poe uh we're talking about poe when finn who has oh, now accepted so. That, you know, he's a rebel. Yeah. He wants to be a rebel. Uh, and he's getting ready to go storm out and back up Luke. And he's like, no, 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 no. Like, we got to we gotta think about this. Like, that's there's a little bit of learning there, I think, where he actually, like, takes a moment to to step back. Right. He calls off the attack on the, yeah. the battering ram cannon mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, tells everyone to break off to try to, you know, cut their losses because he can see they're not going to make it. So, right. He's just like, everybody peel off. Let's go, you know, circle back. And yeah, and he keeps people from running out to try to help Luke. He's like, no, he's, wait a second. He's, let's think this through. He's doing it for a reason. Why? Why would that be? Yeah, I suppose so. So. I suppose you're absolutely right with that. But he is very frustrating in this movie. uh, And I'm sure we'll see in a month if he's better. (laughs) And and we'll get to that later, too. He lets Rose and Finn sneak off. He helps them sneak off the ship. And if if they hadn't gone, if they had just trusted with Holdo's plan, they hadn't gone, then they wouldn't have picked up the, you know, what they think is a lovable rogue who turns out to be just a rogue, uh, who sells out the fact that the the other ships are escaping and gets most of them destroyed because he betrays them mm-hmm. to the First Order. So he sells them that particular bit of information to get them to pay him and leave. 
Yeah. Whenever anybody is like, why, why, what, what's the whole point of the Canto bite sequence? I'm like, it's pretty important when they pick up Benicio del Toro, who, you know, turns on them. So let's talk right. about that. Canto bite is the casino planet. That's another scene that people tend to hate in this movie. And, uh, I love it. It's a little it. awkward. It's a little awkward, but let me explain why I love it. I'm going to make a case for it. I All right. I do feel, uh, particularly in The Force Awakens before this, it was, look at Tatooine. I mean, Jakku. Look at, <laughs> look at Star Destroyer Land. I mean, Hoth. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, everything was stuff I had previously seen in Star Wars movies, but with a different name on it. And that was okay, because I needed that nostalgia hit. But now I'm beyond that. I have gotten my hit. And um, I want to see something really different and interesting I've never seen in the Star Wars movie. And maybe it falls a little flat a little bit because it is almost too like real life to feel Star Warsy. Like they're playing craps and they're playing that, you know, regular games that we might know. But it's something new and it's something different. Visually, it's stunning. It's the most beautiful planet in this movie. It's so interesting to see. And uh, I've just always had a fondness for it, even if it's one of the more disliked parts of the movie. One thing I really like that comes out of that sequence is when they're on the ship then with Benicio del Toro and uh, he's talking about like, oh, whose ship is this? Oh, this guy was an arms dealer. And yeah, he supplied the bad guys. But then wait, this guy also supplied X-Wings. I just really like that moment of ambiguity and kind of like addressing that uh, there's a war going on and people are very heavily profiting on it who don't really care about which side is winning. Right, him included. So yeah. uh, they go to this planet to find the Master Code Breaker who is uh, tipped off uh, to them by Maz Kanata, played by uh, Lupita Nyong'o. And the, first of all, the Master Code Breaker, uh, I know Nicole put in our docket a bunch of either criminally underused or overused players. I will add one because the Master Code Breaker is Justin Thoreau and we don't get any of him. Nope. Overused or underused? Uh, underused. I don't know who that is. He's an amazing Justin actor. Thoreau? Well, he was, you know, the he uh, was married Jennifer Aniston. Uh, he was in The Leftovers. He wrote Zoolander 2. So it's a real mixed bag. Sure. But <laughs> let's double track. He was in The Leftovers, which is a masterpiece. Um, but he, he's he's in this very I briefly. Seen it. Very, very good. Highly recommend it. Um, but and they, they end up finding Benicio Del Toro, DJ. They're they're regular code breaker instead and nicole you believe that benicio is one of the overused characters i i think benicio del toro can be a really good actor i think he's highly capable of it i think he's i think he does give really good performances generally but he also tends to pick a speech impediment and call it a character trait <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So if you've seen The Usual Suspects and this and like five other movies he's been in, he picks some really weird way to talk and considers it, ooh, I'm adding character detail when really if he left that out, his performance would come through a lot better. You know, yeah. I kind of, I, the only one I've seen recently that I actually really liked was him as the collector. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yes, he's fussy and mannered in that, but it's, it's the sort of character you would expect to be fussy and mannered. So right. it fits properly. It's not just, it, it doesn't seem random. 
Right. No, that makes sense. And you put in here for criminally underused actors, uh, Anthony Daniels, of course, C-3PO, uh, Gwendolyn Christie, who is Chrome Dome. I can't remember her real name. Um, uh, Phasma. Cap- yeah, Captain Phasma. Phasma. Captain Phasma. Uh, Lupita yeah. Nyong'o, is who I mentioned, Maz Kanata. And then you also put uh, Ralph, is it Ineson? Ralph Ineson. He's the he's, he's the, a British actor. He's the first order officer that is on the brig all the time with Donald Gleason, right? He no, he's uh God, he's like in the background one shot when they capture them um near the the tracker. He's the one who's like on the main ship. You fools, you've caught their stunt doubles. Wait, and, you know, <laughs> Stephen and uh, Right. Apparently well, he yeah. was in, he had more to do, but it got left on the cutting room floor. I think Alrighty. that happened with a few different characters. I know that there was a whole different sequence with Gwendolyn Christie, uh, Phasma at the end when she faces off against, um, against Finn. Why do I want to keep calling Finn Poe and Poe Finn? But they had this whole other sequence that they shot that apparently had a little bit more of her that got changed. Are you also trying the ship Poe and Finn? <laughs> no. The, the Poe and Finn ship was did. a very real no, thing. No, although I would watch that. He <laughs> did give him his jacket. <laughs> right. right. Uh, and then you also put Andy Serkis' his real face. A- Andy Serkis playing, of course, um, Underused, Supreme, yes. Supreme Leader Supreme Snoke. Leader Snoke. Uh, yeah, which is that is something I did watch on the special features. It actually shows you the every scene that Snoke is in, but with Andy Serkis in the mocap suit. Oh, really? Oh, that'd be cool. And I want to see. They that. actually put the the motion capture cameras on the regular set, so he was really interacting with the other actors directly, which usually doesn't happen with mocap. Usually, they mat them in later, and the you know, the motion capture yeah. actor has to act in like a big green open space. Um, so he was actually on set with them. And it's a, it's an amazing performance. And he's doing so many things with his face and his body language. And I just feel like, you know, I think ILM did a, a great job animating Snoke, but it's it's just not quite the same. I, I will say that I think the, des- the design of Snoke is interesting making him this giant cgi thing is a choice yes Uh, they wanted to make him more imposing yes which is is fine i don't know i think i think that people romanticize the emperor from back in the day because now we have all this history of the emperor and we've seen how the emperor became the emperor but really if you just like watched uh if you watched empire strikes back in a vacuum you would get as much of the emperor as we get of snoke but uh, there's something about Snoke's design that is just, to me, not quite perfect. And that's a little bit disappointing because I actually kind of like what they do with Snoke a little bit. So 30 years from now, are we going to find out that Snoke 2 is not really dead? Well, I'm I don't not know. sure how you could do that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they did it with Darth Maul and he got cut in half too. So mm. it can happen. Uh, but so let's talk a little bit about Snoke. Snoke is an interesting character because he... In the first movie, he is shown as this gargantuan presence. He's only ever seen in holograms. They're giant holograms. But when we see him in person, he's not giant anymore. Uh, he's he's still pretty tall. He's pretty tall, though. Yeah, but he's got like this weird like gait to him that's like I don't even know how to describe it. It's very Andy Circus. Something something happened. He, I mean, his face probably wasn't like that. He's got scars. 
you know, probably very old, like probably old and injured and was hiding out somewhere. Right. But, but we, we get the, the gist that, that he is this Sith Lord that, you know, lured Kylo Ren to the dark side, Ben Solo. And we, that's about it. We never learn, uh, who was his master? Where did he come from? What is his motivation besides ruling the galaxy? Like we, and we don't get any of those items that we got from other star Wars villains at times. Uh, and I think well, we have not yet. Right. And I don't know if they're going to go back to Snoke in the new movie or if it's just going to drop him like a hot rock, but, or he'll get a novel. He'll get, he'll show up somewhere. Right, else. I'm right. just I guess saying. what I'm saying is like the, the movie itself. I remember it shocked me when he got killed when I saw it in theaters, because I was expecting him to be the big bad villain for all three movies. And he's killed very unceremoniously. Yeah. And I think that's kind of great. That's, I guess what I'm, I guess what I'm leading up to is I love that about this movie that they lured you into thinking that he was this big, important villain. And it turns out he's not. Well, no, I mean, he was a big, important villain in that he, you know, he was stomping out the resistance and, manipulating Kylo Ray, you know, it's, it's, and it, it's weird how Kylo Ray doesn't see it. Ah, yes. Kylo I mean, Ray. There's a scene at Kylo Ray. Yes. I'm, I'm <laughs> totally Ray. shipping it. Kylo Ren um, is grooming Kylo Ren and Kylo Ren doesn't see it, you know, and it's, it seemed really obvious to me, at least this last viewing, um, there's a scene near the beginning where uh, Snoke is talking with Admiral Hux in his throne room. And as Hux is leaving, Kylo Ren walks in and the Snoke says to him, you know, you're wondering why I keep this cur on a leash, you know, this rabid cur on a leash. And it's like a, such a such a cur can be a sharp tool. And he's talking yeah. about Kylo Ren. He's not talking about Admiral Hux. Admiral Hux is, well, he's somebody's tool, but he's not a sharp tool. <laughs> yeah, I love Hux. I Donald Gleason. Yeah, Donald Gleason. I do. Donald Gleason is awesome. But also just like Hux uh, is like a little bit bumbling in these movies in, in a way that I truly enjoy. I love the part when he's standing over the unconscious body of Kylo Ren and he starts going mm. for his gun and then Kylo Ren wakes up and he just slowly puts his jacket back. Like <laughs> It's like this guy almost almost like hates being in the First Order <laughs> but is, is still around for some reason. Well, he hates his bosses, well, right? <laughs> sur- yes. Yeah, he has, he has survived his own incompetence many times <laughs> somehow through being you know cunning if not smart um you know he's got a a keen sense of self-preservation yes yes he does one of my favorite <laughs> scenes in this movie is when poe is taunting him and biding time at the beginning of the film and oh i don't like that at all really i love it <laughs> a lot of people don't like that part oh yeah. i love it yeah, when, he, <laughs> when he acts like he's waiting so on hold for him yeah, I was I was really worried when that happened. Really? I'm just like, oh my god, is all the humor going to be a this dopey and b <laughs> this modern? Is it going to be so relatable to like mm, this fair enough area in history where you're like, who are you holding for? And 
you know, I'm waiting. I'll, I'll wait to be connected. Okay. You know, and it's, it seems like it's placing it too firmly in it. It takes me out of the movie because it's too much like a gag you could make in any other movie. Ah, uh, interesting. All right. Yeah, that's, that's a complaint I heard from a lot of people. You know, he makes a little bit of a of a your mother joke that a lot of people really yeah. There's like. yeah, there's that, and there's like using the term Chrome Dome. I didn't love that. I'm just like, where? See that? Why? Chrome, Chrome Dome feels weirdly Star Wars to me. I you can hear Han Solo. I think say Chrome Dome. I think you could. Yeah. <laughs> So let, let's talk more about Kylo Ren as well, as long as we're circling around him as a topic. Oh, I, yes, please. I think Kylo, and, and, and <laughs> entirely because of Adam Driver's incredible acting and the strong writing behind it, uh, he's the most dynamic villain the franchise has ever seen. And I'm including Anakin Skywalker slash Darth Vader. Um, because, and I know, Nicole, you grammar Nazi me here in the... I wrote this on my phone, Nicole. Uh, this particular film <laughs> cements him... As a unique character, I think, because he... No, it carbonites him. It carbonites him as a unique (laughs) character. And what I love about this film is I remember leaving this film and I still have this feeling where I can't figure out if he's a bad guy. And that's at his core. And that's that's a sign of a truly awesome bad guy is that he Mm -hmm. is so incredibly conflicted. Mm Mm-hmm. That he has so many different facets of his character that Star Wars villains have never had. Yeah. Look, Darth Vader is cool. No one can ever deny that. Darth Vader is mm-hmm. awesome. Look what happens when we decided we need a deeper look into Darth Vader's past. <laughs> this is why I generally dislike when people are like, yeah, we're going to make a movie about a villain. I'm like, because then you have to make the villain the hero. And that's not really something Or at least that, the protagonist. The protagonist, yeah. yes. So... I, I love Darth Vader as he is as this as this black suited force carrying a cool red beam sword. Like, yeah, that's <laughs> what I want out of him. Uh, in Kylo Ren, it's it's cool because he's from the beginning. He's always been that. Like, people are like, oh, he's so whiny. But it's like, no, he's like conflicted, and that's an interesting. And I, I'm with you. Adam Driver's a great actor. I think he's doing a great job with this character. I'm I'm really curious to see how his story wraps up. Yeah. I mean, I think he conveys really well that this is somebody who has decided that he's going to take this dark path, but it, it like his heart's not all the way in it. And it's like mm-hmm. he has to convince himself over and over again what a horrible person he is and how this is the life he should be leading. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's like he decided it without context and now he has to live with all the consequences of it yeah and it's that's what's causing the the conflict it's like i i i can almost see him thinking i i didn't think it was gonna be this way you know not not like oh you know i wish i were i wish i were good i wish i were you know i wish everything was nicer it's just that i you know this isn't the the dark forceful destiny that i had pictured in my head and he's a little bit impulsive you know he takes over <laughs> <little> the leadership <laughs> of, I mean, he's very impulsive uh but he like he was getting ready you know he wanted to run away from the first order from everything and then uh when you know the first order suddenly in chaos he he just takes command yeah he's 
he's somebody who's kind of like going back and forth and, and not, I think in not an annoying way. Uh, Cause as you say, it's like, he has to keep convincing himself. This is who I am. And how is that going to play out when we're not going to talk about episode nine because it's not it's not here yet. Not you know people we who will. might be avoiding trailers and stuff. I don't want to. We'll we'll talk about the very end of yeah. the podcast a little bit. We got to talk a little bit about we'll it. Designate time. We'll designate yeah. time. At Maybe the end. a little bit. So yeah, but I, I but I mean I see I see. Let me let me just get this out. Yeah, I had this I had this written down because I had, I felt really proud of myself for figuring this out. Um, <laughs> that you know in the Force Awakens, Kylo Ren is like this temperamental emo teenager who's or more accurately like goth teenager um, who's just determined to be dark, whether or not that's a native trait to himself. And, you know, now it's like he's a grad student who's taken two psychology courses and believes he knows how everyone thinks (laughs) and how the world should work. You know, he's a little older, he's a little more mature, but he's not, fully formed yet you know he's still figuring himself out and trying to forge this identity and it's it's just never turning out quite the way he imagines and it's frustrating him at every turn that that's an excellent analogy and i and i think it ties into some of what i was thinking as well because i see him as a character that as you said nicole he he wants to follow the dark side, and he's decided very early on this is his path, um, perhaps partly due to the fact that Luke kind of pushes him that way. Um, let's not forget that the way Luke tells the story of of Kylo Ren's turn to the dark side is very different than the way Kylo does and the way that Luke later admits. Um, Luke failed him in a way and sent him on this path. And at the end of this movie, we see that he doesn't necessarily want the, the 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 ideas that go along with Jedi or Sith or anything like that. He just wants to be done with it all, right? Let the past die. That's the whole Kylo Ren thing in this movie. And that's very different than any other Sith Lord or bad guy we've gotten in Star Wars that want the Sith as an idea, as an empire to grow, literally an empire, Um he doesn't want any of that. And I think that makes him a much more dynamic character. I think he believes that's how he can get rid of all the conflict inside of him is if he can cut himself off completely from the past, from where he grew up, from who he has known, from, you know, the first order that he has served in and just start new starting from today kill everything from before and everything will be all right. I think that's, that's what I'm getting from the character, from Adam Driver's performance, from the writing in this movie. That's why he's so insistent, you know, let the past die, kill it. If you have to, uh, what is it's kill it if you have to. And then it's the only way to become what you were meant to be. Mm -hmm. Great line. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what makes him one of the more unique villains of the franchise. Now, one of the people that he has to kill in his past is his uncle, Luke Skywalker. Now, is this Mark Hamill's best performance? 
in my this is a question from Nicole, but I will add editorially to your question. I think Mark Hamill has become a dramatically better actor with age. I don't think that the original Luke Skywalker in the 70s and 80s is a particularly strong performance, nor is he ever accused of yeah, performing in one. You whiny. Yeah, you want to go to Toshi Station to pick up some power converters, he's got you covered. But in this movie, it's almost like 30 years of doing voice work and odd jobs has taught him to just be an incredible actor because he's so good. He is he is really good in this movie. I, I will agree with Nicole that I think this is probably his best acting, which is, I, I think, interesting considering his comments about how he did not like Luke, how Luke was being handled in the film. And then he comes in and gives a, a really great performance. Yeah, that's, that's something Ryan Johnson talks about in the, um, the commentary and the special features is that, you know, Mark Hamill made it very clear that he didn't like that Luke Skywalker dies. He didn't like Luke's outlook throughout the movie. He didn't like what Luke was doing. And that said, every day he showed up and gave 100% and gave this fantastic performance. And what a professional. And, and right, he, he could have not, right? He could have just shown yeah. up and and been like, this isn't going to go, this isn't going to end how you think it is. Like, <laughs> just really hammed it up, really been, uh, you know, he could have tanked this movie if he wanted yeah. to. Yeah. I don't have enough experience with his voice work to say if this is his best. So that's where I was going to come in. His and, best and, performance he's ever okay. done. Yeah. But this, I would say, I would assert this is the best live action performance he's ever done. Yeah, I'm sure David probably has some thoughts on this more eloquent than mine because he's far more steeped in, in uh, comic books and, and that sort of stuff. But I will say, as someone who's now been diving down the DC animated rabbit hole, he's the Joker. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. No, his Man. his voice work is the his voice work is the Joker is is fantastic. No one's going to deny that. I, I, I'm going to get flack for saying this. I think that he is a great voice actor, but I think most of it is just a little bit of a variation on the Joker. Uh, yeah. Except for except for Fire Lord Ozai, he's great as Fire Lord Ozai. But there are there are some roles I'm here like, oh, that's Mark Hamill. He's just doing the Joker again. <laughs> uh, which is not, you know, necessarily a bad way to go. But. Yeah, he's a killer Joker, though. That might be his best performance if it's not this. Oh yeah. So, uh, but I, I did love seeing him in this, and I also want to mention. I wanted your guys' take on this. I've talked. He shows up through some sort of astral projection, force magic voodoo, and um, he taunts Kylo long enough for the resistance to escape. Mm-hmm. He goes to Leia. He holds her hand, he gives her Hans dice, and kisses her on the forehead. And they share kind of a wink-wink-nudge-nudge moment, because she most certainly knows that he's not really there, doesn't she? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. As, soon as, as soon as their hands touch, you can see on her, the look on her face is like she suddenly gets what's going on here. Which is also why she leaves the dice, because she never would have left them if they are real dice, and she believed they are real mm-hmm. dice. Uh, what's great is that people who, uh, you know, people were like, how that's so crazy. Luke did that, but where did that come from? And there's a great sequence of tweets from Ryan Johnson of like, it's it's just pictures zooming in on a bookshelf and there's like, uh, you know, some Jedi book that's been published at some point and he pulls it out and just opens to the page of force projection and just like displays (laughs) the, the definition of it. 
and then closes the book and puts it back. And it's just, if there's no <laughs> words, it's just a sequence of pictures being like him being like, look guys, it's in the canon. What do you, what do you want? Yeah. One of my favorite bro- bromances on Twitter is Ryan Johnson and Duncan Jones. They just love each other. <laughs> And that makes me so okay. happy. For those unfamiliar, Duncan Jones, the the we've seen him before on the show, the director of Warcraft, David, and David um, Moon, Bowie's, uh, director of Moon and Moon. Right? <laughs> let's let's better credit where credits due. Um, and uh, and Zoe Bowie, correct? But yeah, uh, he draws a lot of flack for this movie, and that's something that doesn't really strike me as that far off. I mean, the Force is it's always kind of been that MacGuffin that you can make it do whatever you need it to do, but it, I'm fine it, with that. Exactly. That's the kind force, of the point. It, it's video game powers. The force can do whatever. <laughs> like, right. Well, and I mean, how do force ghosts appear wherever if it's not exactly. somebody's will having them show up wherever they want them to, you know, and it's clear, it's crystal clear at the end of the movie that, you know, and they, Kylo Ren says it the first time that he and Ray connect. He's like, "You're not doing this. You're not doing this. The strain would kill you." You know, it's crystal clear at the end that it's the strain of projecting himself in this way so far mm-hmm. for so long is what kills him. Yeah, yeah. It's it's it. Well, and he's also been closed off from the Force for years, and then he does this giant stunt projecting himself across the galaxy and not just like not just into someone's mind which is what right. uh which is what kylo ren was talking about it was like projecting himself to multiple people to appear that he's on a planet and every that i can't believe i didn't notice the footsteps the first time that i watched <laughs> yeah the doesn't oh, leave any so, footprints on a planet that's so, very footprinty so tricky. that's right Ryan Johnson was was very clear. He's like, I didn't want to cheat. I wanted to make it very clear. I wanted to play fair. That's so like you never see any of the salt flakes land on Luke's clothes. You never see them get, you know, sizzle as they hit the lightsaber mm-hmm. because he's not there. So and he doesn't interact with anybody physically except for Leia. And then at the end, when he reveals to Kylo Ren that he's not actually present. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, one of uh, probably the deciding factors for Luke to beat off some of that cynicism and um, come back and... Raising. Yeah, I, <laughs> as soon as I said it. Um, <laughs> as soon as I said it. Uh, so, shake off some of that cynicism and... There you go. And, and, and rejoin the resistance in this final attempt to uh, save them and, and, you know, count down the timer to let them get away. Uh, he's visited by an old friend. Borgs. Okay, we can talk about. <laughs> okay, you know what? Pause the Yoda discussion. How can anyone we'll, be cynical? We'll have the Borg discussion. Porgs. So we'll Porgs <laughs> are great. We're going to talk about Porgs in the middle of this. Porgs, in my opinion, are are the way you mo- you shamelessly monetize a cute animal in your Star Wars movie and get away with it. Well, you know why they did it, right? Why? I do. I do. Yeah, it's uh, Nicole. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. You go. <laughs> oh, okay. It's Puffins. Yeah. The, the place they shot had a bunch of Puffins. Oh, my gosh. I know. I read about Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and they couldn't... And they had to cover them over. <laughs> right. Yeah. They couldn't get rid of them, but they're not going to be like, well, this is Star Wars. It's not Puffins. Oh, I love right. that. It's too hard it's... to erase them. <laughs> oh, that's terrific. 
So it makes me I so happy. Birds. They are some of the weirdest critters ever. Apparently, they went through a huge number of iterations. Oh, I don't. But doubt it's it. like a bird body, them. but a mammal face, <laughs> which is and so I love weird. Them. They're so cute. <laughs> I did. I love but them. The also. little one, I have a stuffed fork somewhere. When in my the house. little one yells, when he yeah. yells in the Millennium Falcon, it's so great. It is great. <laughs> but but I do think <laughs> he's like, roaring like his friend Chewbacca. Right. Yeah. It's his battle cry. But because they're so cute, and because they're not like. I think the issue, if you look at historically, like things that George Lucas attempt to make cute so he could sell toys and like the first one's Ewoks, of course, and people hate the Ewoks because they're these weird little teddy bears taken down, you know, fully armed stormtroopers. And then people they're hate teddy bears with human teeth. That's what makes them weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are. Uh, and then the second, so the second one, of course, is Jar Jar Binks, which people hated for a whole Ooh. other litany of reasons. And, oh, um, so many reasons. So, but I guess like. The problem with those iterations on a cute little toy seller is that they tried to jam them into the plot too much. And I don't think you can do that. This would have been weird if the Porgs had saved the day. Right. And yet, if they had, I still would have loved <laughs> Maybe, the, Maybe their cuteness <laughs> transcends any bad writing, right? <laughs> like, nah. No, it's like it's like you said. They were just a cute little additional thing, and you know, and they it it came out of necessity, and they used them correctly. And we have our and crystal fox dudes for the little kids. Yeah, the crystal foxes—they're so, some of my favorite too. Let's not forget them. Yeah. Oh, super funny on the special features, like the iterations that they went through for those. Oh, I bet. You know, they ended up going all digital at the end, but there was one phase where they were putting like this white hairy suit on a greyhound <laughs> <laughs> and running it around and they're like, wow, no, no, oh, this isn't no. Working. no. <laughs> oh, they're so beautiful. I love I them. Down. They're just some good boys. Uh, but let's return <laughs> to the discussion of Yoda. Uh, Yoda right. returns to this this old tree that houses the sacred Jedi texts that Luke is now coming to burn down and Yoda decides to just and looks remarkably like the resistance symbol you're right right and Yoda which I didn't catch until like the third viewing yeah, I feel ashamed of myself yeah. <laughs> and Yoda decides to just burn it down himself he shows up as a force ghost he lights that thing on fire and he yep. gives Luke a pep talk and uh, it still fills me with childlike joy I, there's something about the scene that is so special to me, and I can't even quantify why. But just it's, having Yoda there for a couple of minutes just makes me want to cry. Like, I love the scene. Well, Yoda and and Luke are now talking on a completely different level. They're no longer talking as master and pupil. They're right. talking as equals. And there's that great moment of we are what they grow beyond. Oh, my God. And Frank Oz yeah. is back, and they decided to do it with a puppet instead of the stupid animation. They just there's, hit the mark. A little I think. bit of CGI. There's a little bit of CGI. A little bit. I mean, but they but they they hit the mark on what Yoda was supposed to look and sound like, whereas the prequels were very hit miss. Well, they yeah. cast the puppet from the. They found the original mold. They cast the puppet. <laughs> so they cast it from the original mold. No, well, yes. yeah, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> they held some auditions, and it turns like, out the original puppet was still working. <laughs> Fozzie came really close. Yeah, yeah. Hoggle, Hoggle was Kermit, third. Kermit, Kermit with some ears almost got there. <laughs> right, <laughs> but like they, they said, they found like the woman who originally who painted the original Yoda's eyes and they had her do paint a new set to put in the, in the puppet. And it's just oh, like, Whoa, it's gonna be a weird phone call. 
it's amazing. Well, one day that and puppet wonderful moment where Frank, uh, where like Yoda, like d- d- like jiggles his feet in happiness, like he's <laughs> like he's so tickled that he has set the tree on fire, and Luke's having a conniption yes, fit that's over so it. Great, and I think and he's just like stomping his feet on the. And Nicole, I, I think you just nailed it for me. I think you nailed it for me that it is the reason I love this scene is because it gives me back original Yoda. The problem with Yoda, at least for me, in the uh, original films, I, I'm sorry, in the prequels, I mean, is that he's so serious. It's like, why so serious, Yoda? And they lost sight of the funny, giggity old man in the in the original trilogy. And maybe that's because he turns that way after many, many, many years on Dagobah. Maybe that's why it's like that. But like the crazy old giggity man that's like sneaking through, you know, Luke's food to try to steal his graham crackers. Like that's the Yoda I love. And this brought him back in that way. I'm a Yoda fan. I'm a Yoda fan. So let's talk about a couple other things on our discussion topic topics here. Um, I don't want to talk about episode nine just yet, so I'm going to skip right past no. that. Uh, strangely enough, for a film that received so much criticism that some camps believed it was a failure, it's the 13th highest grossing movie of all time worldwide. It's number nine in domestic box office returns. Yes, this is, this is because people create an echo chamber around themselves. Uh, this movie is fairly heavily reviled on Reddit. Uh this movie, you know, in other places of the internet, people to surround themselves with people who, and, you know, for people like me now who love it and are sick defending it, like, I'm just not going to jump on those conversations. It's like the whole live action Aladdin thing. If you were on Reddit up to that movie, people were like, nobody wants this movie. Who is this for? <laughs> nobody wants to see this. And then it goes and makes a billion dollars. And people are like, well, people aren't seeing these movies. So I don't know why they keep making them. Lion King makes a billion dollars. <laughs> like people are seeing these movies. Yeah. There's a reason they keep making those Transformers movies, even though they get critically stomped every single oh, yeah. time. And also toys. <laughs> Yep. Also toys. The Bumblebee. I'll but, stand um, by Bumblebee. One thing that's, all right. One thing that's not on the docket that I thought would come up organically, but hasn't. So I'm going to bring it up before we go, because it's important is how do you feel about the, the Kylo Ren Ray connections and sort of weird bond that they form? Does it feel like, ah, uh, I don't know. What is it, does it feel like anybody's being manipulated here? Is it only one of them? Is it both of them? Are they, is it a romantic thing? Is it, what is it? I don't think it's romantic. I think that it is, I mean, it is the, the new generation forging their own path sort of in their own way. And they have that moment of almost coming together, you know, when they, when they fully recognize one another's struggles, but then make very different choices at a very critical path. I don't know if either of them are necessarily being manipulated. Uh, potentially, maybe some some Star Wars Episode Nine stuff that I'm not going to touch on now, based on pure speculation. <laughs> I think it's just it is this. It is what Kylo Ren says. It is they are moving past the old guard and trying to figure it out for themselves, and then come into very real conflict. Yeah, for me. So you, it's discovered later in the film that Snoke has been manipulating both of them 
in order to create this force bond, that they're able to talk to each other. He's, he's been facilitating the connection. Right, but, but what happens when Snoke's not around anymore and they still have the connection, which they have at the very end of the movie? I just It just clicked with me, this viewing, that when Rey's closing the doors to the Millennium Falcon, she's staring at Kylo Ren in a different space, and they have this moment before she closes the doors and shuts off that connection. So I don't know if that connection still exists because it was already open and it's not closed, but... Um, it seems like something deeper than just Snoke wanting to manipulate them. Yeah, I mean, I guess that could be. I mean, there's something that um, that Daisy Ridley said about it that I thought, which is, she said, you know, in this movie, Luke should be the one nurturing something in Ray, but instead Kylo is. Mm, yeah, he he does have a little bit more... <laughs> I, I guess a little bit more, uh, not age, but a little mo- bit more time in this world and gets what she's going through. Yeah. In a way that other people don't. Yeah. And she, in this movie, yeah, she's, she goes, she does, she has a lot of the instincts that he has, except she acts on them in different ways. You know, Luke is scared of her initially because when he's teaching her the ways of the force and she is enticed by the, by the dark on the island, uh, this island of, you know, the Jedi temple to go and see what's in the dark and see what's in this place that's calling to her. She goes straight for it. She doesn't try to resist it. And to me, that is, you know, she is this curious new Jedi that in a way understands that there has to be a balance of, of dark and light. And I feel like that's might be where this story ends in a way when we'll find out next month, but maybe that story is that it can't be bi- binary. It, it can't be just we're light, you're dark. Maybe it has to be that the good guys are somewhere in the middle. And I think Ray's the only Jedi quote unquote that we've ever seen that is wanted to flirt with that. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. that's certainly possible. I mean, I think why, some people, you know, ship the whole thing and and feel like there might be a, a romantic bond. It's because, you know, Ryan Johnson, every time he talks about it in the commentary, the word intimacy keeps coming up. You know, the way yeah. the first, like the first three times they connect, uh, the sound drops out entirely. All the background sound drops out and just you can only hear their voices talking to each other. And mm-hmm. so that sort of sonically isolates them. And, you know, they can see each other. Uh, it's shot so that, you know, this is where we're, the, where the language of cinema works for him, where he, he cuts to Kylo and Kylo's on the left side of the screen and he cuts to Ray and Ray's on the right side of the screen. And we're, we've been, and trained in watching movies that that means these two characters are kind of in a, a, the same space talking to each other, which they actually were when they shot it. You know, Adam Driver came out to Ireland and was just off camera when they were shooting hmm. Ray's half of oh, conversations well, and she came to the London sound. Yeah. And she, she came to the London soundstage when they were shooting Adam Driver's side of the conversations so that they would actually be there to play off each other. Huh, I didn't know that. Um, and I think that adds so much Agreed. to the performances and the, the feeling of connection between them. Because it, you, I really do feel it, you know, and that moment where they actually touch is just this close-up of their 
with these perfectly clean hands. I'm like, what soap are they using? I need to get some of that. Um, Space but soap. like in the, right, but in the, in the firelight and they're just touching fingertips and it's like you can, it's like this electric connection between the two of them. You can feel the energy. And I think that's, you know, I, I was watching that and I'm like, ooh, okay, maybe she can change it. Maybe she can fix it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe they can just make out a little. I don't know. <laughs> right. They, they right. Do Would have, that work? Let's see. <laughs> yeah. To, where I think those two characters do have really good chemistry, even like not even in a romantic way, I think. Yeah. Yeah, they absolutely do. They work tremendously well together. And it makes that scene in the, the fight scene in the throne room amazing at the end. Oh, what a fight no, scene. I, I hate to mention this, uh, that do not watch. There is a, uh, the, the guys who do the, uh, VFX artists react videos, which are great videos. Look them up on YouTube. If you want to see people breaking down VFX shots and what makes good ones, what makes bad ones, uh, they do stuntmen react and they talk about that scene and they pointed out some stuff that I still watching at this time was able to ignore it enough to enjoy it, but point out some stuff that I'm like, Oh, Oh Yeah. I, I get what you're saying. Uh, <laughs> basically, the, the stunt actors hesitate a lot because neither Daisy nor Adam Driver are uh, stunt Fast actors. enough, quite. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Oh. But I mean, they, they did train their butts off, and so that's actually oh, them great. in a lot of the shots. Yeah. And it looks great. Yeah. yeah. And I guess, you know, to the untrained eye, you know, we, we don't notice the difference. Mm-hmm. And, and also, there's a little... Yeah, and there's a little there's a little cheating with throwing slow mo in here and there, so you can't really tell how fast everybody's moving. Right. Mm-hmm. There's two elements of that scene I want to touch on. The first is that I do want to mention that one of the reasons I've really adored the sequel trilogy thus far is that I I struggle with the lightsaber play in the prequels and enjoying it because sometimes it's just so well, you need a safety word. Uh. <laughs> Sometimes it's just so incredibly like like fencing-ish. I don't know what the correct word is, but it's like whipping whipping lightsabers around in the most grandiose way possible to the point where it's it's frankly absurd. And uh and then you have the originals. I like Ewan McGregor's style. I yeah. do too. I, I'll give Ewan McGregor you. a pass. His fight with, you know, t- two of his fights, one with General Grievous and the other with Anakin are classic fights for me, but some sometimes it just went a little overboard for me. And then on, on the other side of the token, in the originals, in the original trilogy, it was very medieval. You held that lightsaber with two hands, you bashed into each other. And in this movie, you kind of have the mix of both. There's some finesse to it, but there's also a lot of bruteness to it. And a lot of that comes from Adam Driver, and because he has a literal long sword as a lightsaber. But I like that. I think it's a cool fusion. I think it's a fair compromise. Yeah. Or we could just go back to how we were doing it in episode four, and it's just really awkwardly hitting two sticks together. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Real slow. Real slow. Um, Nobody choreographed that scene. (laughs) Nope. Uh, But the second more important item to talk about in that scene is when uh, Kylo tells Rey uh, who her parents are, that they were nobodies, that they were, uh, they were, uh, you know, drunken traders that traded her off for more booze money and never cared about her and left her stranded on a desert planet. And this was... Yeah, and they're buried in a pauper's grave on Jakku. Right. Now, this is, 
for some anticlimactic because there was an expectation that she is a Skywalker, she is a Kenobi. And as you can tell by my tone of voice, I think those are stupid. Not everyone that's important <laughs> in the Star Wars universe has to be a Skywalker. And I loved that about Ryan Johnson's... It's a big galaxy. Right. And I love that about Ryan Johnson's decision to make her parents nobodies. And I've always really admired that decision, knowing full well when he made it that that would draw ire from fans. Um, Though there's really no way you can win with that decision, but he picked the harder way out of it. And I like that about it. What do you guys think? Well, I I like it too. And he always said like, you know what? It really wasn't at the end of the day. It's not my call to whoever makes episode nine's call. Uh, You know, Kathleen Kennedy could come down from on high and be like, no, let's go ahead and change that. Um, And they very well may change it. But I just love the idea that she, that she is a nobody who, is who is not tied to all of this who just shows up and is now a big important player because that makes it feel like any of us could be a big important player in star wars right exactly it's i think i'm hoping that that's the way they'll go with the franchise because it's simply it's easier that way plotting wise if having a deeper connection to the force is luck of the draw and not just Mm -hmm who your parents are and you know what what your bloodline is um that that might certainly influence it but that it's possible to just sort of pop up randomly in the population i mean like you know it's a big galaxy it would be weird if everyone with the force were related especially since some of them are not the same species um (laughs) (laughs) but i boy talk about an example of toxic masculinity it's like he's (laughs) Kylo turns to her and he's like, you come from nothing. You're nobody. But not to me. Right. <laughs> it's just like, oh, run, run, girl, run. Yeah. yeah. He's saying all the right things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, he's saying all the right things, but he's he's negging her while he's doing it. Yes. He's like, you're nobody except to me. This you're is not your story. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a little worried that JJ is going to wreck on that because JJ has come out and said that that could very oh, well change not. and and he's and the fact that he's even felt the need to come out and say that worries me um yeah but let, let's go ahead and at the very end here we're almost out of time um uh, do we want to talk about are we, are we allowed to talk about episode nine at all it seems like i'm getting vibes from no. both of you that you don't want to do it no. i have strenuously avoided any trailers any news uh, articles i don't want to know all righty I, I would rather go in blind all righty no, yeah and expectations free all right then i'm and i, and I i'm gonna maintain that for yeah. nicole then the only thing i'm gonna say is, is i hope that jj doesn't play it as safe as he played it with the force awakens i understand the necessity for the force awakens but it's time to end this with a bang and i would really love it if he stayed true to some of the ideas that ryan johnson introduced yeah i heard some of the leaks that have been reported and whether or not they end up being true, I don't really care. I care more about the story that's being told because any leak can sound bad when you um, when you phrase it correctly. You know, any plot point right. can sound terrible. Uh, Out of uh, context, yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, Bran being... Uh, spoiler alert for Game of Thrones. Bran being the king at the end of Game of Thrones can be interesting if done correctly uh but it wasn't yeah uh so that's why like it was it was a plot point that that was leaked far before 
And it's like, if it was done correctly, it could have been great. So I'm looking at these <laughs> plot points that are being spoiled out and it's like, well, okay, but I don't know how we get to that point. So sure, it sounds dumb on its own, but it could sound great when it's all tied together. Yeah, that's a, that's I mean, a really good uh, comparison, though. It's because it was almost like at the end of Game of Thrones that all the writers were like, shit, we have three episodes left. And you, you would hate for JJ to sit down and be like, this is the last movie, right? We should probably wrap up some loose ends. Yeah, I mean, this oh man, and I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, one one last thing that we we didn't even touch on it that I, yeah, I mean the the silent moment in this movie, oh, Laura yeah. Dern, R.I.P. Just st- stunning. When I I'm, the first time I yes. saw this in the theater, and it was so you know, silent. Oh. Yeah, everybody in the theater was it like held their breath. It was yeah. dead quiet in my theater, and it was awesome because it really let it sink in for a second and i was just dreading that like some numbnut was gonna be like is the sound okay sound what's going on you know it's just like no shut up it'll come back be cool you just ride with it (laughs) (laughs) it's a beautiful shot uh and i think also i think laura dorn is amazing in this movie Mm -hmm. yeah she's so good she's so good she you know she knows She's, you know, like she says, she's seen dozens of guys like Poe Dameron before, and she knows he's exactly the wrong type to handle what's going on right now. And she's still dressed classy as hell. That's right. Gosh, dang it. Well, look at that classy purple mauve almost right. hair, you could say. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Uh, and and the, only <laughs> other, the only other thing I'll say about episode nine, not, also not spoiling anything for Nicole from any marketing or anything, is that. As we've okay. learned on this show before, um, when you rewrite something to death, that's usually not a good sign. And episode nine has gotten that treatment. It's it's gone through two directors. Uh, the first director signed on was was well, Colin. Now, granted, only one director made it, but yeah, Colin Trevorrow has been out for a long time for sure, for sure. But it did go through four different writers, including an entire rewrite when Abrams got on. Um, because this thing was written when Abrams was signed on, and then they rewrote the entire thing again. So I, I really, really hope. Uh, in fact, it was actually rewritten while they were filming too. Well, that's no, that happens. I know, but but for Star Wars, when this, this okay, I just don't stop catastrophizing. I know, <laughs> I you're know. Those, you're the people who are cool, doing cool. reshoots, and it's like everyone does reshoots no, now. And here's the thing: I yeah. I, I, I don't want to sound like that person because at the same time. I might be the only person here that loves Rogue One, and that went through reshoot well, hell too. Yeah, you are. Uh, so, <laughs> well, let me put it this way: they reshot pretty much all of Laura Dern's scenes in this movie because originally she was much more like hippy dippy, easygoing, uh, no, laid back leadership that. style, um, yeah, and they wanted to that. make her like a, a more clearly a military well, leader. Yeah, that's she the way to go. So, in this film, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, reshoots can be a good no, thing. No, for sure, and I'm not saying they're not. I just, I, I, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping we're gonna know in less than a month. By the time this comes out, it'll be literally like two weeks. So, very, 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 very exciting. Do you guys have your tickets? Can't be worse than episode two. Episode two. Are we talking Attack of the Clones? No. Yeah. Yes. Oh, there's worse movies than Attack of the Clones in the in the franchise. 
Okay, well, we don't have time to go down okay. this rabbit hole. You told me you loved the Phantom Menace, and I was trying to stay away from it. Oh, yeah, David does love the Phantom Menace. All right. Well, I didn't say I love the Phantom Menace. What? Whoever said I love the Phantom Menace? <laughs> I thought you did. No. I thought that was you, Brett, because it yeah. was like a precious part of your childhood. It's still a garbage yeah. film. Okay, we're, we're done with this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, okay, well, then it can't be worse than that. The Last Jedi. Is it a future classic? I defer to the panel. Yes. Every, yeah, every <laughs> Star Wars movie is a classic. I don't know. <laughs> like, Rogue One's even, a classic, David. You said it, not ooh, me. Okay, all of the all of the uh, main story Star Wars films are classics. Uh, just like, just kind of by their nature of the mythos around them. I think this movie is great, but I think even if this movie was not great, I would have to concede. Like, yeah, it's a Star Wars movie. <laughs> it's gonna we're gonna be watching it till the sun burns out. Ah, uh, easy win, easy <laughs> win there, uh, Nicole. Any last thoughts? Um, no, it's good. Um, R.I.P. Carrie Fisher. I wish they hadn't done the Mary Poppins moment. I wish they'd just change the angle so it would be like her swimming upward to life rather than going sort of sideways. Yeah, it's a little odd. That's actually a really good point. We didn't talk about that at all. But I, you know... If you really want to like sob your eyeballs out, there's a um, there's a podcast series called Inside, and they've done like deep dives into Jaws and Psycho and uh, The Exorcist, and he's done Inside Star Wars, and the last episode is like the you know the coda and talks about the day that Carrie Fisher died and the events leading up to it and what happened. And I'm like folding my laundry, listening to it. And there's like just tears streaming down my face. It's just like, you know, because he's talking about what princess Leia meant to people and just, uh, you know, it's, this is, she did well in this movie. It's a, it's a good note for her to go out on. Yeah, I mean she'll she'll obviously be in the next film, um, and hopefully is. And R.I.P. Peter Mayhew. Yeah. I mean, I know he wasn't in this movie; right. he consulted on it. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, whatever note so she her character ends on in the in the last and final film will be uh, a good one. But uh, it's nice to see her daughter in it um, several times. She has slightly more of a part in this movie than the first movie, which is cool. Yeah, Billy Lord playing Connix. Yep. With little buns on her head. Exactly. In, uh, sort of homage. <laughs> right. Uh, very good. Well, that closes us out for The Last Jedi. Again, a reminder, next week we are watching Hero. But if you'd like to follow along with all of us online, this is where you can do it. David, where can people find you? People can find me around the internet under the username DavLuz, that is D-A-V-L-U-Z. So Twitter and Instagram, you can find me there. I'm also on the Brokebot Mountain podcast. And when this comes out... Uh, it will still be being released. I am in season two of America's Next Top Podcaster. So check that out. Yay, congrats. Uh, Nicole, where can people find you online? You can find me taking care of our Facebook page at facebook.com slash podcast, And I have updated my letterboxed page, with, uh, Nicole underscore Davis. Very good. You can find me on Twitter at I am Brett Stewart. Find all of this online at social.mgrpodcast.com along with all the other links you're ever going to need. And finally, email the show hi, hi, at mgrpodcast.com. We would love to hear from you. I know I say this all the time, but particularly on this episode, 
We know that all three of us loved it, but it's a polarizing movie and we still respect your opinion. If you didn't enjoy it, let us know why. Let's start that discussion. Hi at mgrpodcast.com. But that'll do it for myself, David and Nicole. We will be back next week with Hero. We'll see you then. Mm-hmm.